all the time. And indeed, God is love, and God is also full of grace and forgiveness. Banking on those grace and love and forgiveness of God, let us pray our confession together. God of all people, we confess that we would like to claim your majesty and power for our exclusive benefit. We relish the good things of life and are reluctant to share with those who seem less deserving. We resist the prophets who point out our greed even when we feel we are being generous. We resent persons in positions of authority over us who seem not to have our best interest at heart. We are angry about ones whose evil deeds are so Oh God, how can we receive your mercy when we are so reluctant to pass it on? Help us to center our lives in your love more than on our own desires. In Jesus' name, amen. God has listened to all our prayers at all times, and God, in his mercy and love, forgives us from all our sins and shortcomings. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. As forgiven family of faith, let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let us greet one another in Christ's name.
Good morning. morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms on this great day, the Sabbath day in which we can be together and worship our God and to hear the work of the Spirit in our lives and to wonder what God is up to such that we may be commissioned into the world. We are grateful for your presence. We hope that you will fill out the friendship pads in the pews and pass those along to your neighbor and uh, importantly to note those folks who are sitting close to you and we hope that you will make a point to welcome them and invite them to come out underneath the tree if it's not raining at that point in time and, uh, and enjoy some time. And, and then also I'd be listening uh, for around 10 minutes after 10, chimes will be chiming and that's your signal to get to class. <laughs> We've had some tardiness in our classes. So those chimes will be chiming, and uh, that will be a chance for you to kind of, oh, I've got to get to class. So uh, that will be great. We uh, also want to uh, call your attention to several things that are going on in our life. We uh, have a crop walk coming up in uh, a week or so, and that will be a walk that uh, many of our students and others are going to be walking on to raise uh, money to uh, assist in the in the growing need of hunger throughout the world. And so if you would like to walk, you are welcome to do so and grab a sponsorship uh, sheet underneath the tree. Or if you'd like to sponsor somebody, you can do that as well underneath the tree after our worship service today. We uh, have a uh, Easter sunrise service coming up, hard to believe, but that's uh, not too much more than a month away. And uh, we would welcome you to join our Sunrise Choir. We sing out there on Lido Beach at uh, 6.30 in the morning. And it's a great, it's a great service. We have a great time out there. And uh, many of you participate in the Sunrise Choir. And there's rehearsal times in the bulletin if you'd like to learn more about that. And certainly you can see Judy after the service as well. We also uh, encourage you and remind you of our student partnerships, our student ministry partnerships that we would love to have you uh, participate in. These are sponsor forms, I believe are still in the pews. If you would like to sponsor one of our students, especially as they get ready to take some summer trips this summer, it's a wonderful way to either commit to praying for them or if you'd like to give at least $72 that would sponsor them uh, on a trip to uh, uh, to Montreat or to some mission um, support efforts. So we would love to have you join us in that and please make make a point to grab one of those before you leave today. We uh, mentioned that we have our, a new hearing loop in our sanctuary and uh, also uh, reminded you that uh, row seven is the dead spot. So if you want to know what row seven is, you don't have to count. There's a little white dot at the end of row seven. So when you're walking into the sanctuary, you see that little white dot, you s- and you want to use your little hearing loop uh, T-coil button. That's not the place to sit. So just make sure you know that as well. We uh, want to keep in our prayers uh, Bobby Myers' family, who Bobby passed away just this past week, and her service will be Monday at 11 o'clock. And we are also celebrating today uh, the birthday of Art Hoffman. Art turned 100 yesterday. Yay, Art, yeah. (laughs) 
On top of that, Art shows up to church every Sunday, and he will be at our 11 o'clock service. So if you know Art, or even if you don't know him, he's, that's worth a card. So uh, just find his address, and we, will, uh, get, we would love to have you uh, let him know that you are happy for his 100th birthday. I'd like to invite our newest members to come forward to be welcomed and introduced to our church. Come on up and stand right up here in the front. If you turn to page 15 in your bulletin, you will find uh, the pictures of these good people. And uh, I will be introducing them to you and they will be answering their questions of membership. If you wouldn't mind turning around and looking at this wonderful group of people. And uh, some of the folks are going to be introduced today at the 9 o'clock service, some over in the garden, and then others will be introduced at our 11 o'clock service. But those who are here to be introduced this morning at our 9 o'clock service, and you can just raise your hand when I call out your name, Marsha Jensen. Not sure Marsha made it here. Art Wood. And uh, Mark and Kelly Miller and their daughters. And Jack and Andrea Reynolds, Carol Summers, Lou and Doris Stanick. These good folks have come to be members here at Church of the Palms, and would you welcome them into our midst? <laughs> Unfortunately, now you have to turn and face me. As you come to become members of Church of the Palms, I'd like to ask you these questions as you publicly affirm your faith before us. Who is your Lord and Savior? Do you trust in him? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? And will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way, and will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? By your answering those questions, you have publicly professed your faith in Jesus Christ and have, have witnessed to us that you wish to join our mission here at Church of the Palms. We are so glad that you have come our way. We are grateful that we have the opportunity to work alongside of you as we carry out our mission here at Church of the Palms and hope that you will find this group of people here to be those who will be happy to walk alongside of you and support you in all that you need as we continue in our journey together. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these good people and welcome them into our midst and ask, O oh God, that you will bless them and endow them with your spiritual gifts such that they will know that they are walking with you. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as we come together as the church of Jesus Christ, that we will shine a bright light in the world, that the world might know that there is a God who so loved the world that he sent his only son. So we pray your blessing upon them in Christ's name. Amen. Welcome, Mark. Let us join together in prayer. Gracious Father, we come together 
into worship today, so very thankful for this place and for those sitting around us. There's such a feeling of peace in knowing that we're not alone, that we're fully embraced by your love, surrounded by grace, and walking in the peace that passes all understanding. You've accepted and adopted us, set us apart for your glory and your service, and have made us a part of your kingdom, both in this world and in the next. Even when we resist your love and fight against your spirit, the truth is you've already done what is required by your sacrifice on the cross. You opened a door that will not close, and it only remains for us to turn our faces toward home today at this very hour. For you know each one of us by name, just as you know the stars in the universe. You know what we've been through and what we're going through. Your care and compassion guards and guides us along the way. And as we worship you this hour, dear Lord, touch our hearts anew. See the wounds that we carry. See the hearts that we lift to you. Hear the voices that sing in your name. Know the longing to be happy and whole and free. Today, Lord Jesus, we would ask that you help us to be free from regrets and resentments. There are so many instances in our life when we choose conflict rather than seeking humility and peace. We all get wrapped up in our own desires and our sense of entitlement, and it causes nothing but turmoil. We want to take this moment to offer you the conflicts that reside in our hearts this morning. As we offer them to you, we ask for insight, for understanding, for healing, and for resolution. For we cannot be of service to you if we are consumed with ourselves, and we cannot be content with ourselves if we are living in anger and animosity. Father, we pray for our church, our families, our children, our loved ones, wherever they may be today. We pray for our leaders, our neighbors, for those who still mourn, for those who serve abroad, for those facing health adjustments, for those who have no place to call home and no bread to put on their table, no job to make a living. Oh Lord, help us to be aware of our privileges and open to the leading of your spirit. As we read the Gospel of John together this season, give us such a riveting sense of your Lordship over all that only heartfelt praise and an utter commitment to you will follow. May our worship in this remain of the service be sweet incense that brings pleasure to you. And above all, we pray that we will be filled with the love and mind of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now let's joyously present our tithes and offerings before the Lord.
Dear Lord, shall we always give as a thank you for the magnificent gift of Jesus that you so generously gave to us. And we pray this in the name of your Son and our Lord. Amen.
And if the kids would like to come on forward, we will have our time with uh, the children. And I want to remind all of you guys, while they're coming down, that the Easter egg is coming up. And someone generously donated about 5,000 of these plastic eggs. We need the candy to put inside of them. So if you can pick up um, individually wrapped bags of candy, drop them off at the officer down there. And if you don't have a child living in your house that is 10 years or younger, come and see Moira and me so you can kind of give us a hand because this is something that we can gift to all of our families. All right, so we, hi, come have a seat. We wanted to share with you a mural that we made at the end of our worship time last week. We used a lot of little hands, we used a lot of paint, and it was messy. But you know, that's kind of what this is all about. We've been talking about peace all month, and peace is messy because peace is about relationships, and relationships are messy. And remember when we talked 
First, there was Isaac, who was out in the desert, and he had to dig what? Do you remember? He was digging wells for water, right? And he had to learn, or at least he taught us, that sometimes peace means walking away even if you're not the one who's wrong. And then, remember we learned from Esau and Jacob? And remember, Esau made a choice. He chose the bowl of soup over his inheritance, but then later he chose to forgive his brother. And so from Esau, we learned that sometimes peace means that you have to give in even if you are not the one that's getting the fair deal. Even if it's not fair, you have to give in. We also learned from Abigail last week that we have to keep our eyes open for opportunities to be peacemakers. Do you remember that? All of those people in God's Bible are teaching us how to live in peace. And it's not easy. It's sometimes kind of messy, but that's what God calls each one of us to do. And that's what we're going to explore just one more time up in our kids' worship today. So will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for sending us the Prince of Peace, for sending us Jesus to teach us how to live and how to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's go. It is uh, totally intimidating having to follow the children's moment. <laughs> Our scriptures this morning are from the Old and New Testaments, the first from the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter, beginning actually a couple of verses earlier than what's printed in your bulletin, beginning with verse 20 of the 18th chapter of Genesis. Hear the word of God. The Lord said, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you in, indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? S suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose uh, five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, 
I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him. Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. The Lord answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Our second lesson is from the gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter, beginning at the 31st verse. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox for me, listening, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Allow these words to come, O Lord, to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh, that we may understand what these great verses are to mean to us in this day, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen. There was a girl where I grew up named Lisa McPherson. At least that's the name that I'm giving her for the purposes of this sermon. Lisa McPherson was a loser. We didn't call her a loser back then. We had a different word for that. We said that she had a severe case of the cooties. No one quite knows how she got them, but someone somewhere along the way at Gordon Elementary School diagnosed that Lisa McPherson had the cooties. It is, of course, because Lisa didn't look right. She was a little overweight. She talked a little funny. She had a loud voice. She was socially awkward. And that's about all you need to be a loser. And because this was long before HIPAA requirements, everyone knew that Lisa had this American elementary school equivalent of leprosy. And so the word was that Lisa McPherson was so badly infected that not only were you not to go near her, you were not supposed to touch the ground anywhere near where she walked. 
So every morning on the Gordon Elementary playground, whenever anyone saw Lisa approaching, they would start to yell in sort of a chant-like cadence, McPherson, McPherson. And as soon as you heard someone yell, McPherson, you were supposed to start yelling it too. And not only that, you were supposed to jump onto some piece of playground equipment so as to get your feet off the ground when Lisa McPherson walked by. That's what we did every morning at Gordon Elementary School. McPherson, as Lisa McPherson with head bowed low would walk through our playground on her way to class. Every one of us on top of the jungle gym, the slide, the swing set, the chin-up bars, all escaping the infection of Lisa McPherson. It has been 45 years since those shameful events of my childhood, and yet I am no less amazed and appalled that a group of children, me included, could let something like that happen. We had to have known what we were doing. Enough of us had parents who made it clear that such bullying and ridicule were clearly wrong, but we did it anyway. And the reasons for why we did it are likely legion. Some of us were uncomfortable with someone different. Some of us were uncomfortable with ourselves. Some of us were just so happy that someone else was being, being made fun of. But I suspect that there were enough of us that knew that what we were doing to that poor little girl was just wrong. And yet the risk of reaching out, the risk of inclusion, the risk of befriending was so enormous, we felt we had no choice but to make fun of her. You probably don't have to think very hard to recall Elisa McPherson in your childhood, the kid that everybody felt obliged to pick on, the one who was just enough different that you felt licensed to do whatever it took to put distance between you. Maybe you were the Lisa McPherson of your grade school. Emily Bazelon, in her book just out, titled Sticks and Stones, speaks to how such early bullying has grown to much greater proportions through the instant social networking of texting and Twittering and Facebooking. The identities and reputations of innocent children can now be desecrated more quickly and widely within the seconds it takes to type or to click. C.S. Lewis spoke about this long ago when he identified something that is true about all of us to some degree, and that is the desire to be inside what is called, what he calls the inner ring. Society, no matter where you are, is filled with inner rings of people that, that we all crave to be a part of, part of, so as to not be given, so as to be given some sense of acceptance and identity. And we will do foolish and shameful things, not only just to be included, but then to also exclude anyone who happens to be behind us or outside of us. Of all the passions, Lewis writes, the passion for the inner ring is most skillful in making a man who is not yet a very bad man do very bad things. 
A group of people who are bent on remaining an exclusive group of people will end up doing a lot of stupid and foolish and regretful things. Somehow, some way, you have to keep coming up with reasons and excuses for why people shouldn't be in your group. So it may not be a real hard connection for me to make between the playground of Gordon Elementary and the story we read in Genesis about Abraham's appeal for God to be merciful to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's an amazing conversation, isn't it, between Abraham and God as Abraham tries to talk God down from having to have 50 righteous men in Sodom all the way down to only having to have 10. Hopefully 10 righteous people can be found. But never underestimate the power of the inner ring. Because it isn't long before Sodom gets visited by some angels, angels from heaven. Now who wouldn't want a visit from an angel in heaven? But Sodom has for itself this inner ring, and inner rings are where evil creeps in, and not such bad men do very bad things. And so the angel pays their visit. The angels of all beings are then marked for attack and abuse and inhospitality. Angels, the strangers, are not welcome. And now we realize that Sodom falls not because God is some sort of vengeful God, but that the inner rings have their way of collapsing upon themselves. The hail, the fire, the brimstone bring a merciful end to this evil group of bullies who don't even care that it's an angel who has come to see them. So in our other text this morning, Jesus is in the midst of his slow journey to Jerusalem. It's his journey to the cross. Now he knows that it's his journey to the cross because he understands what lies in Jerusalem is the inner ring. Jerusalem had a population back then of only about 25,000 and inside of the 25,000 was a ring of people who were on the inside. Jesus though was on the outside. The, the son of man was on the outside, the Messiah was on the outside. And Jesus knows this. That's why he says something shocking like, it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. It's his way of saying, oh, the closer you get to that inner ring, the better the chance of getting maligned and defamed and, and killed. Jerusalem is threatened by the different one, the one who preaches something different. And this fear that Jerusalem holds makes what, what likely out the outset are not very bad men do very bad things. They mock, they, they accuse, they arrest, they torture, and yes, they even kill in order to hold on to their little ring. And this isn't an angel, this is the Son of Man. This is Messiah. It's hard for us to imagine that such treatment could be given to the Redeemer, but such is the power of the inner ring, sort of like their little own homeland security system. God forbid some backwood rabbi is going to enter our gates and tell us that we might be not doing it the right way. 
We have to protect the inner circle. We have to keep our like-mindedness. We have to hold on to our club membership. And such is where evil breeds. So it is no surprise when Jesus imagines that the day will come when the walls of Jerusalem that have kept the prophets out, someday the walls, Jesus says, are going to come down. And it's God, God doesn't have to bring down the walls. They'll just do it themselves. <laughs> Makes me think about the start of Charles Sheldon's classic book, In His Steps, that tells the fictional story of a respectable mainline church in a Midwestern town and how one Sunday during their respectable worship from outside walks an unemployed man down on his luck, staggers to the front of the sanctuary to the great anxiety of all the worshipers. Paralysis fills the sanctuary. What must we do with this man who is standing in front of us? And the man begins a little bit of a monologue and wonders out loud to this congregation, what good is this church to a man like himself who needs help, a man who is not tidy or successful or even well? And the man collapses in front of the sanctuary, in front of all the respectable worshipers. And now they're confronted with this question, what must we do with this outsider? What must we do with this man? He Is he in the ring or out the ring? And to the quiet queries comes a question and response. What would Jesus do? WWJD, it's where over a hundred years ago the phrase was coined, what would Jesus do? And soon they realized that the good old respectable mainline first church had allowed themselves maybe to become the inner ring that the evil of indifference, the evil of fear of the stranger had crept in and it was time for them to change, time to welcome the stranger, the visitor, the angels, the Messiah. So whether it's angels in Sodom or Jesus in Jerusalem, the question that these stories beg in us is at what risk are we of the same evils? At what risk are we of putting ourselves in those places and groups of people, those little inner rings where, the, where there breeds contempt for those on the outside, those who look different or act different or think different or believe different? Has our personal homeland security built walls that would protect us from any surprise visits from angels and messiahs? Don't you wonder about that when you look at how polarized our society seems to be? This group believes this and that group believes that and God forbid they should talk to each other. God forbid they would ever consider the possibility that the alien on the outside might have something necessary for us to hear. Neglect not, writes the writer to the Hebrews, neglect not to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so some have entertained angels without knowing it. So I remember the night when my family had gone to visit my brother Jimmy in Pennsylvania. Jimmy is four years older than me and was diagnosed at a young age, toddler age, to be profoundly retarded. 
In his 58 years, he has never spoken a word. He has very little mental capacity. We had been out to dinner with Jim. Jim was about 25 at this particular time. It was a cold and snowy night, and we were driving him back to the school where he lived, and we got rear-ended by a truck and pushed into the front lawn of a house. Lots of commotion ensued, and to make a long story short, the family whose front lawn we had arrived on came out of their warm house with blankets and invited our family and the driver of the truck into this tiny little trailer home to stay warm while the police and others attended to what needed attending to. My brother Jim is not one who likes groups of people, nor does he like sudden changes or surprises. So here he was in a strange house with strange people growing more and more anxious. The two daughters of the family, neither being older than 10, sort of stood back in the corner and watched all this, very confused, especially over this strange 25-year-old man who appeared not only very different, but very anxious, sitting on the couch, rocking back and forth and moaning quietly. Their mom and dad were busy making us coffee and offering us whatever they had at their cupboards. And there they stood trying to cope with this unexpected evening. The one little girl you could see was hanging on to her teddy bear for dear life. We had invaded the inner ring of their family. And just as I was prepared to go over and try to engage these girls and calm them, I saw something. I looked at the little face of the, the little teddy bear gripping girl as it dawned on her what she needed to do. She timidly began to take some steps and slowly walked over from the corner of their little house and approached the strange and anxious man. And she said, would you like to hold my bear? How was she to know that this was the one thing that would calm my brother? He took the bear and clung it tightly to his chest, and in a couple of minutes, he finally grew still. Mom and Dad stood in silence. She never, they said, she never lets that bear go. A while later, when we had finished the invasion of this family's home and were apologizing out the door, the mother turned to us and said, Thank you for coming. You've taught us something we may never have learned otherwise. Neglect not to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And there is an ending to the story about Lisa McPherson. It happened when Mrs. Michaels died Mrs. Michaels was a first grade teacher at Gordon Elementary. She appeared to be as old as God to most of us. <laughs> so we made fun of her too. All of us except for Lisa. Lisa loved Mrs. Michaels. She'd stay after school to help her. She was Mrs. Michaels' teacher's pet. She cleaned erasers and washed the chalkboard back when there were chalkboards. Well, Mrs. Michaels suddenly died. 
and she had been a member of my father's church, so my dad made me go with him to the funeral home to see Miss, Mr. Michaels. I didn't want to go, but I did. When I got there, I sat in a chair in the front of the room waiting for all this to be over, when all of a sudden, who should walk into the room but Lisa McPherson? Oh, jeez, I said to myself. <laughs> what is she doing here? I may have even lifted my feet from the ground. <laughs> but then I watched as Lisa made her way to the casket by herself and went straight for Mr. Michaels, grabbed him, hugged him, buried her tear-streaked face in his stomach and said, I loved Mrs. Michaels very much. Mr. Michaels hugged her back and said, well, Lisa, she loved you very much too. You were her special friend. It means the world to me that you came. It was the first time I'd ever seen an angel.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.